Hi, welcome to the podcast. Today, let's look at the Lord's Prayer, the instructions Jesus gave his disciples for how to pray. But first, I'm going to give you a basic tip for understanding the King James Bible. Why I use this translation is a whole other topic, probably filling several episodes, but the bottom line is I've concluded it's the best, most precise English version we have. And if I'm going to invest all this time in study, I want to use the best. But for now, just learn this. Thee, thy, and thine refer to second person singular, you, one person, or one entity, like a singular group of people. So I would use thee to talk to my husband, for example, or if I wanted to speak, say, to all the people within a single group, like a book club, or even a nation, which is what we often see in the Bible, referring to the nation Israel. To remember this usage, I think of how the letter T in thee, thy, and thine have one long downstroke. Ye and you in the King James are second person plural, referring to more than one person. To remember this one, I think of the letter Y requiring two downward strokes. This is so helpful because it tells us if something is addressed to one entity or more than one. This precision gets lost in modern Bible versions because today we only have the English word you to refer to both. Okay, now that you know this, you'll hear the difference in the Lord's Prayer. Beginning in Matthew 6, 9, Jesus says, After this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Jesus told his disciples to pray for Messiah's kingdom to come. Just because the Jewish Messiah had arrived, it didn't mean that his kingdom had. Like we talked about last time, their kingdom was at hand. It was near, it was within their grasp, but it was not there yet. Jesus had not yet fulfilled the prophecies of his sin offering and his overcoming. Jesus told his disciples to pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Knowing that God's will isn't always done on earth, Jesus told them to pray for that. We see throughout the Bible examples of God's will not being done on earth. Numbers 14:27, when God voiced his anger about Israel's murmurings against him. Jeremiah 19:5, where God told the prophet about the southern kingdom Judah, they have built also the high places of Baal to burn their sons with fire for burnt offerings unto Baal which I commanded not, nor spake it, neither came it into my mind. God certainly did not want these children sacrificed to Baal. Matthew 15, 6, where the Pharisees had nullified God's commandments with their traditions. God wanted his commandments to be obeyed. That's why he gave them. Matthew 23, 37, where Jesus mourned Israel's continual rejection of God reaching out to them. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that thou hast killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Mark 3.35, where Jesus told his Jewish brethren, For whosoever shall do the will of God, 
the same as my brother and my sister and mother, showing there were some who were not doing the will of God. Acts 7.51, where Stephen called out the Jewish religious leaders, for they're always resisting the Holy Ghost. And one that really makes me want to weep. In Luke 19, we find what we call the triumphal entry. When Jesus approached Jerusalem the week of his crucifixion, starting in verse 41. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this, thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the days shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee round, and keep thee in on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Jesus was heartbroken for Israel. Their day, their time, had finally come to have the peace they longed for, but the leaders have rejected Messiah, and now terrible consequences would ensue, all because they did not recognize the time of Messiah's visitation. You can go back and listen to episode 2 for a short discussion of that prophecy. What else did Jesus tell his disciples to pray for? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Does this apply to us today? Are we forgiven by God only as much as we forgive others? Does that sound like by grace through faith alone? No, not at all. Jesus told this to his disciples, the Jews, because national Israel was under the Jewish law. Their entry in stature in Messiah's kingdom depended on their obedience to the law. One passage that sheds some light on what will be required of Israel when Messiah's kingdom is established is Matthew 25, 31-46. I'll leave you to read that one on your own, keeping in mind the whole context there of Messiah talking to the Jews about their kingdom when he comes the second time for judgment. Thank God we are not under the law, and we have eternal life by belief alone in the completed works of Jesus Christ. The last line of the Lord's Prayer, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Remember what I said earlier, thine is singular, referring to one entity. Thine is the possessive form. So praying to God, this verse is saying the kingdom belongs to God the Father. And that's exactly what we see throughout Scripture, that Messiah's kingdom belongs to God the Father, who will give it to Jesus the Son at a particular time. Here are just some verses that demonstrate this. Psalm 2, 6, and 7. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Matthew 25, 31, in the context of the second coming of Jesus and his judgment. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. Psalm 110.1, which Peter quotes in Acts 2, 34 and 35. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand, until I make thine enemies thy footstool. 
Other verses that uh, you may find referred to the kingdom of God are referring to the kingdom that belongs to God, Messiah's kingdom, that will be a kingdom that comes from heaven. By the way, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that Christ, which is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah, will give the kingdom back to God the Father after Messiah has put all enemies, including death, under his feet, which means making his enemies subject to him. Starting in verse 23, where Paul is speaking in defense of Jesus' resurrection and the resurrection of the Hebrew people at Christ's second coming, Verse 23, but every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, which is a very Jewish term, by the way, afterward, they that are Christ at his coming, while well, 2 Thessalonians tells us the body of Christ is gone before the second coming, so this would refer to Israel's resurrection for judgment and their entry into Messiah's kingdom. We learn in Revelation that this kingdom is for a thousand years, and then the end comes. And that's where the next verse here in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15 picks up, verse 24. Then comes, cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign, till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death, for he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith all things are put under him, it's manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him, that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Hallelujah. We're going to end there today. I know that's a lot, but I hope you're starting to see how we have to make all these connections within Scripture in order to let it interpret itself. That's the best way to understand it. See you next time on But It Says. 